From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Chicago, Illinois and currently residing in Chicago, Illinois. He is the co-founder and CEO of Science On Call. Please welcome Andy Freivogel. Thank you. <laughs> That's the I most pondered all, response I've ever had. <laughs> I pondered all night about How's he going to do that like WWA intro with a last name that has three syllables? It's like, <laughs> like the two that, syllables. How would names. I emphasize? Yeah. yeah, but you nailed it. And thank you. Um, I, I can't tell you how happy I am to be doing this. It, it's, um, you know, I could start any number of ways, but since we met you in the throes of the pandemic, you know, the, in, the, in the beginning, um, so much has changed about what we do, but a lot of it tracks with, um, our, our, our studies with you. Like mm. we, we've had the opportunity to have you there kind of all along the way there, yeah. you know, we, we came to you, you helped us with our pitch and then you, um, helped me again, uh, with the startup, uh, startup grind pitch as well. And uh, I was, you know, that was a good experience for me. And then we had another, another one after that, that um, I didn't, I didn't place and it was a bummer, but I was constantly thinking about you the whole time because the whole time I was like, man, I should have checked with Raj again before I did this last <laughs> pitch. <laughs> but well, well, we're learning. Of yeah. course, of course. Learning's part of the journey and I appreciate that. Uh, so to give everyone a background again, this is Andy Freivogel, co-founder and CEO of Science on Call. What is Science on Call? Where they are the system that keeps restaurants, independent restaurants up and running. They are the peace of mind and the real people to call when your systems are down. So if you are a restaurateur and guess what? You have like eight different apps that you have to do delivery through, whether it's like Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Postmates, and your menu looks like one thing on one app and it looks like a different thing on another. And then your internet goes down on your side. Who are you going to call? Well, you're not Ghostbusters. You call science in this case. And again, science is the engine that's keeping these restaurants up and running, especially um, during a time right now where they really need to be online um, with so many limitations um, on uh, on restaurants due to the pandemic. And they were founded in the throes of the pandemic last spring, science was. 
And they have been able to quadruple their MRR over these last 10 months. Some of their notable customers who you may have heard of include Go Get Em Tiger, Tiger, the coffee chain on the West Coast, uh, Revival Food Hall, Mirai Sushi, Hackney's, Chicago Bagel Authority. They have been the backbone behind a lot of these places that people love to go to make sure that you can still actually go to them. And our relationship started about a year ago when we worked on the science pitch. What was really cool was being able to not only work on that, but then get, like you mentioned, you had that startup grind competition that you entered and you came out the winner, which the, the, to me, the coolest thing of that was an IT services company beat out all of like a, a bunch of tech companies, right? Uh, traditional, you know, tech startup companies, yeah. as you would say, and, and it all came down to just really having the right message. So today, what we're going to talk about is I, I, I love this topic because it, it so often comes up as almost like an excuse for companies. And the topic today is pitching a market that quote doesn't have any budget. So, Andy, why is this on your mind, and why is this important to you? Well. The reason that this whole idea resonates with me is that, um, you know, in our first company, Louisa and I set out specifically to find businesses that thought they did not have any budget for technology. And a part of this tracks with my background at Intelligentsia Coffee. The most exciting part about my job there when I was IT director at Intelligentsia for close to five years was uh, the retail shops. Because you know, every six months you get the opportunity to open another shop or two. And the way that the technologies that drive retail move, it's like every six months you have new iterations of point of sale, guest engagement technologies, audio video, anything that, that you see and feel and experience in a retail shop, you've got an opportunity to improve that every couple of months because that landscape has changed so quickly, especially since the advent of um, cloud-based point of sale. And so we so enjoyed going into, you know, record stores, shoe stores, barber shops. Like we liked being out on the street. We liked being in the places where real people do real work. And so we knew that there were lots of solutions. And some of this was based on my experience in Intelligentsia. Some of this was Luis's experience. We knew there were lots of opportunities to connect them with technologies that would enable their business, empower them to make better decisions, reduce their spending in many instances, and then also kind of propel their sales. And, you know, we saw places like small retailers, cafes and restaurants, they had all been taken advantage of previously by like these older traditional IT companies that say like, oh, you need firewalls, you need servers, all kinds of big iron you know, and it was restaurants specifically that we saw were just getting jerked around the most. It was like legacy point of sales companies would tell them, you know, say like, oh, you need all this stuff. And here are a bunch of bolt-on services that work with our product that you're not even going to use, but we're going to make you buy it anyway. And it would totally leave them out in the cold if a support need would arise like out of bank, outside of banker's hours. You know, if Restaurant calls Friday night at seven and says like, hey, credit cards aren't running. You know, most IT companies say, okay, we'll have a consultant out there Tuesday. They're going to charge you $2.25 an hour and we'll see what we can do. Well, the thing is, is, you know, that's the big dance for a restaurant is Friday night. And 
they got to make that money on Friday night. They can't wait for credit cards to start processing again on Tuesday. So we saw all this pain with our first company. And we were doing this kind of boutique IT consultancy thing saying like, listen, you could sell so much more of your records, for example, if your customers could make a purchase through Instagram, but you don't have any online presence that would allow them to make a purchase. So we'd say like, if you you know, select this service and you do this thing, it's gonna cost you maybe $28 a month, but you're gonna make this much more. The return on investment was always there. So we are always dealing with, with what I consider to be negative budgets. You know, mm-hmm. like we'd come to, 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 to places and say like, we don't, not only do we not wanna spend money on IT, we need to spend less money in general, you know, in order to be profitable, in order to succeed. And our experiences were like, you can do that by making micro investments in technology. Um, you can you you can check off all those boxes. You can increase your revenue. You can increase your efficiency. You can decrease, you know, the amount of time the owner's spending on on little issues and focus on bigger initiatives. And we just we just kept knocking these out. A good a really good experience was one of our first customers was Spice House. You know, pretty well known spice merchant. Mm. Um, when we went into Spice House, you know, we met with Tom Erd and, and 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 Patty and you know the owners, and they're like, all right, here's what we got. And they had pads of paper and calculators, and that was their point of sale system. And everything got manually written into a ledger you know, an old leather bound ledger at the end of the night, <laughs> as far as what they sold. And we took them from pen and paper to cloud-based point of sale to, you know, redundant Wi-Fi and or redundant internet connections to keep all those systems up and running and um, automations. And we built it, we helped them build out a fulfillment center. And of course, the 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 Erds sold it, and and you know it was a huge success for them. It's what they were looking to do all along, but they never had the data to really fuel an acquisition by an, a, a, another company, because the, all they had was this leather bound ledger, you know. <laughs> and so it, we we found ourselves in the business business modernization business, you know. But it was so exciting. That was one of the the, the early wins that we had. We really enjoyed you know, saying like, hey, you could spend almost next to nothing. And this is when we came into the organization, they thought, oh, we're going to have to hire a CEO. They're going to have to, you know, uh, you know, we're going to have to give them equity and things like that. When we ultimately do the sale, it's going to cost a lot of money. We're like, no, it's going to cost you a tenth of what you, you think on an annualized basis. Like you're not going to hire an executive. You're going to hire us and you're just going to pay us a little month, you know, every month. And, you know, we got them through it, but that, that's how we, that's how we found early on that businesses can think that they have no budget and they can think that their goal is to reduce costs. But in fact, they can make small investments that leverage the right technologies and reduce their spending, but increase their profitability. And we've seen it a hundred times. We're going to dive all more or a whole lot more into that, I should say, uh, as this conversation progresses. But before we do, let's talk more about Andy, the person. And I want to learn more about you and your background, Andy. Uh, Before we hit record, we were talking about where you grew up and you talked about, you know, suburbs of Chicago. But you had this interesting moment where you moved to Florida halfway through high school. 
Now, I know if that were me, I would have been kicking and screaming along the way, yelling at my parents, how could you rip me away from my friends? And I'd probably be like, during the best years of my life, how could you, how could you pull <laughs> me away from my friends, right? So uh, I, I just would say kudos, I guess, for not, like, not just rebelling and, and refusing to go. But my question out of this is, what was that experience like having to leave one friend group at a point, in, you know, at that point in life, like you've established who you're friends with, at least, you know, up to your first, you know, adolescence and then having to start making new friends. And then how do you feel that has shaped the way you build relationships moving forward? That's a great question. And I think it, it, it's, it's responsible for, for, for much of who I am, um, that experience. So, you know, I, I grew up in Hinsdale. This kind of idyllic suburban upbringing. And then when I was about halfway through junior year, uh, my father transferred himself from his law firm had an office in uh, Boca Raton and said, and, and, you know, he was going for it. And I totally admire it to this day, you know, like mm -hmm. I want to live that life. I want to be by a swimming pool some of the time. So like we did it. And I, was absolutely thrilled with the idea. And I had really, I had great close friendships, you know, where I grew up, but I've always been so gregarious that like I can fit in with any group, you know, and I, I can talk with jocks and, and like, you know, I, I, that we get each other. I'm not a, never been really a sporty person, but I was really into music. I was really into countercultural stuff. Like mm -hmm. I was the kid that found the Clash album at the library in seventh or eighth grade. <laughs> and I would go to the library saying I was going to study, but I would just sit in the record listening room and listen to London Calling over and over. And then I found Sandinista. And I would just like, that's what I, that's what I wanted my life to be. I'm like, whatever this record sounds like, that's what I want to create for myself. You know, just this kind of day glow, multicultural, um, but have a hard edge to it, consciousness, and so I always found it really easy to move between groups of friends, though, because, you know, like I was involved in Young Life in, mm -hmm. the, in, in high school. That was a, a, a Christian group, um, yeah. you know, very soft evangelical group, but it was fun. It was like community center and you got to hang out with your friends and they weren't preachy at all. Um, and then uh, so I had my, my, my Young Life friends. I had my I worked at the radio station in high school. And so I had my radio music nerd friends and like, you know, and then I was going to punk rock shows when I was a freshman in high school in downtown Chicago. And I've seen bands like Articles of Faith and Effigies and Naked Ray Gun and stuff like that. It was so amazing, you know, to be able to drift between those groups. So when we said we were going to Florida, I'm like, awesome. It's going to be a warm out. Maybe I can learn to surf. Maybe I could learn to skateboard better. And maybe there'll be like some, you know, some well-to-do uh, disaffected punk rock kids there too. And so I figured <laughs> out and I found them. I found all four of them at Boca Raton High School. The public, I went to the public high school. There was some, there was a, some gentle pressure on me to go to the, uh, to go to a private school there because there was a concern about the educational disparities between the Florida public school system and Hinsdale Central, which is a great high school, which is where I went up here. Yeah. And but I'll tell you a little secret. If you are a C student in Hinsdale Central, you can go to a Florida public school and be valedictorian like overnight. <laughs> mm. I wasn't actually valedictorian, but it was, <laughs> it was really easy 
when I got there. Like I didn't have to study or anything. So there's plenty of time for punk rock and, and um, wishing I could learn to surf, which never happened. Uh, and hanging out at the mall in the parking lot with friends, you know, like very, you know, Kevin Smith movie kind of existence. Very classic and high school, high school so, life. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And so from there, I graduated. I went to University of Florida because I was a Florida resident. So it was a lot easier to get in at that point. Mm -hmm. And it was super cheap. My tuition was like 600 bucks a semester. It was amazing. And then I got involved in bands and, and, and stuff like that there. But to get back to your question, um, I learned at that time that you can spread yourself out a little bit. And if you're a good listener, you can fit in with a lot of people and you don't have to kowtow to, you know, their worst elements. Like if you're with people that, mm. you know, have an objectionable political view, you don't have to say, yeah, that's great that you think that like, you know, you can stand your ground and you can drift between people, but you always learn a lot. And you see that in restaurants every day, restaurant owners and operators occupy the entire socio-political spectrum. You know, if you didn't know it, and I would say they tend to skew more conservative um, in many cases. And I've had some amazing conversations, especially in the last year. I ran into one of the restaurant owners that we work with on a couple early November. And he had an I voted sticker. I'm like, man, good for you. And he's like, you know what? I know that you and I are not voting for probably going to vote for the same person. But I'll tell you this, this election, I think we are voting for the same person. Huh. And he said, he said, some's got to change. And he said, and I said, that's so great that you share that because I know I probably hold some views that you find objectionable. And he said, he said, Andy, that's okay. If we're talking, we're, we can disagree on like nine out of 10 issues, but we find that one issue and we can work on that together. Mm. And I'm like, I totally agree. I, I am not a, I am not a, third way, purple, whatever person in the middle at all. <laughs> but I agreed with him on that point. And we always have good conversations about that stuff. And I have a couple other owner operators that I work with who definitely reside on the opposite end of the spectrum from where I do, but we always find common ground. And usually it's like, can you get this kitchen printer to work because the <laughs> chef is yelling at me? But that's okay. <laughs> well, I think that's a good segue then into the main topic because I think it is a lot about relationship building. So our, our, yeah. our, our topic today is, again, pitching a market that doesn't have any budget. And my first question here is, the, when, you, when you think about the restaurant industry, it is mm -hmm. like, it, it is known, it is notorious for being a industry that has no budget, not only having no budget, but also the things they are paying for, they don't pay their bills on time or they conveniently switch their credit cards so they don't pay the, you know, so they don't have to pay the thing on time. So why was this the industry that science said we need to pursue this as a company? So we got kind of sucked into restaurants. You know, Louisa and I started with this kind of boutique. Our first company was this kind of boutique IT consultancy focused on small retailers. But with my intelligentsia experience, we always knew that um, specialty coffee was going to be part of it because intelligentsia was like a finishing school for people who were going to go start their own companies. And we landed with the best one possible. Go get them tigers. You know, we've grown along with them. It's been an amazing journey. But um what we found is around 2017, 2018, restaurants kept getting referred to us 
because there's the, the, the options available to them for IT support and IT strategy mm-hmm. were so bad. It was either like these third-party IT companies that just don't understand restaurants, or it was hire someone internally. And when you hire someone internally, A, you're looking at salaries, benefits, everything. It gets you to 100K really quickly. For a small restaurant group, it's not sustainable. Even. Um, and so they kept getting referred to us. Like the Apple business team kept calling us, like, hey, we got a restaurant here looking for a point of sale system. Can you guys help them? Because like nobody understood restaurants. And we're like, yeah, we can help. And so we started to build a little bit of reputation. And then in 2018, we were busy enough that I finally had to convince Louisa to quit some of her side hustles. I'm like, mm-hmm. I need your help. To, we need to focus on this full time. And, and so I said, I'll figure out a way to pay you a full-time salary if you can just come on and dedicate because we're getting busy because these restaurants are finding us. And it was like a month after we made that decision, that sacrifice, and I'll constantly go back to that term, um, we landed our first big hospitality group. And what we found is, yeah, there was a lot of consciousness about price. And we had experienced that with other restaurant owners. But I'm going to challenge you on some of this. First of all, if they didn't all realize it in 2018, by the time 2020 rolled around, restaurants realized they absolutely depend on technology to survive. Yeah. Used to be a choice. You can't do it anymore without, without technology. And I'm also going to challenge you on who keeps telling you that restaurants don't pay their bills on time because I don't have that experience. And I've, I, I've had, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm lucky, but three or four times in my life, I've run into peers, investors, whoever in the industry and say like, Hey, we're working with so-and-so now. And they, and it doesn't matter who it is, restaurant or not real estate developer or not. I've had a bunch of careers. They always roll their eyes. They're like, Oh, that guy, good luck getting paid. Or good luck, good luck working with that person. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We get along famously. They pay their bills right away. And I guess I always have different experience than other people, but I think it's about articulating expectations, but also understanding who they are and understanding what the cadence has to be for for that to work. Because yeah, restaurants are strapped, you know, like it's all the problems that we fix every day have nothing to do with the pandemic. These problems have existed for 30, 40, 50 years in restaurants. You know, as consumers, we don't pay enough when we dine out. Um, tipping is really challenging. And it's something that nobody has effectively addressed yet, whether or not it needs to be or not. Uh, healthcare in this country makes it very difficult for a restaurant owner to employ people at a wage that still allows them to make any money and then compete with the idea that if this server or this barback gets sick, they're not going to be able to work for me. And so I'm just going to pull in another person. And then that person's like restaurant jobs, the churn is just amazing. Like it's mind boggling. People work at restaurants for two and three months sometimes. But if we can fix healthcare, right? Sometimes it's two and three weeks. Oh yeah. All the time. If we could fix the healthcare issues in this country, it would solve a lot because people wouldn't have to go job surfing, just see like, oh man, this isn't working. I'd go find some place where I can get benefits. Mm. Because people who are in restaurants, they love to be there. They love the vibe. They love the camaraderie. You know, people that, they work 70, 80 hours a week some of the time and they love it. 
there's this whole concept of the shifty, which is like you can get a, a drink at the end of your shift or, or, or a meal at the end of your shift. You go into a lot of restaurants and depending where it is in the day, you'll notice there are people at the bar that are employees, but they decide to hang out for a drink. They decide to hang out and talk to their friends. They love to be there. Like you and I, like we've probably had office jobs in the past for like five o'clock. I'm punching out. I'm getting out of here. Restaurant employees don't do that. Right. But restaurant owners and operators, despite all of these pressures, I find them to approach their finances very responsibly and they honor their commitments all the time. And I can only think of one restaurant that we've worked with since we launched Science on Call that I had trouble collecting money from. Well, I think, so there's a couple of things that I think are worth pointing out here. One is, I think first off, just having the mindset that they are going to perform in the way you need them to perform is a good starting point, as opposed to assuming they are gonna screw you over is probably a bad starting point. Um, yeah. Now that said, you do want to like accommodate or you do want to prepare for the scenario or you want to make sure you are going to get paid. And I think a lot of this starts to speak to your business model uh, mm-hmm. and how you're able to figure out a price point and then also a price point, a service point and a payment structure in which you don't get ignored. Uh, yep. And I think that's a, I think it's a combination of, of those things plus the value of the product and service being provided means mm-hmm. you don't get ignored in that sense either, where it's like, why are we paying for this? Or, um, you know, let's skip that bill. You know, let, we'll, we'll pay that next month because you're not just like a, I don't know, you're not just like a widget sitting on top of their counter that they don't have right. any sort of like connection to. Yeah. So we, we are the human element in all this technology. And yet we're, we're really, we're a tech enabled services company that our capabilities stretch beyond the, the, the six plus living, breathing human beings that do the work. And so trying to focus and give you response to something that you just brought up. So here's what happens. Restaurants right now, in order to succeed, they need a good point of sale system and they need a way for customers to order if they are not uh, walking into the restaurant. So that could be any of the third party delivery and ordering platforms. They could integrate with the point of sale, but there could be an aggregator in the middle, like a Chowley or Otter or somebody like that, that funnel in all those third party orders and inject them directly into the point of sale. If the customer is not using the built-in integrations. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. So Toast, for example, Toast is is right now they're hands down the leader as far as cloud-based restaurant point of sale systems. They they delivered all the functionality and features that restaurants needed to cope with the pandemic. But honestly, those consumer behaviors aren't going to go away, you know, just because everybody's you know vaccinated or whatever. And so there's still going to be a lot of ordering and Taking those orders on the phone is not scalable. So taking those orders through these third-party platforms, regardless of the fees you pay, that's a little more scalable. So restaurants can harness that. Here's the thing. Toast used to have a field team of about 1,000 field implementation specialists. All right. In April 2020, they cut that. So right after we launched Science on Call, all of a sudden, we started getting lots of inbound requests from Toast sales reps saying like, hey, 
there's a bar and grill up the street that they would like to sign up with Toast. We don't have a field engineer we can send to there to look and check out the network and make sure that it will support our system. So I said, I'll go. <laughs> so we'd go there, meet with it. We'd identify a hundred IT issues that Toast wasn't going to resolve or any point of sale wasn't going to resolve because they were unrelated to point of sale. You're like, oh yeah, also internet goes down all the time. Also guests are complaining about guest Wi-Fi. Also the music cuts out at night, whatever. We're like you need a partner to help you, you know, corral all this into one place. And, you know, Toast is a great system, for example, but they're going to support Toast. They're going to do it for free, but they're just going to support Toast. When you call and say, hey, kitchen printer isn't working. I think it's because my internet's down. Toast is going to tell you to call Comcast or AT&T or whatever. So we became the, the face of these deals. We're like, Toast rep needs to know if this deal is going to work. We go on site, meet with the, the owner operator and say, oh yeah, we can totally figure out a way to, to reconfigure your network so it'll support this. And so they'd say like, and you can solve all these other problems for you, you're hired. And I mean, like I close deals in a first meeting in a half an hour, a lot. Mm. Okay, and so let's talk through that part this, now, right? Yeah. So, and I think that's a very interesting point you just made. You can close deals often, you're closing them in a 30 minute meeting. So you're not setting up the meeting to get to another meeting. You're not dragging out the process, which... Some cases that's required, not dragging out, but the process needs to be longer. Other cases you can get the quick, the, the, the one meeting or the one call close, if you will, which is great. Yep. Can you walk us through what's happening in that meeting then? Is it literally you just like you were sent to diagnose something and then you're like, well, we can do all this other stuff or like, what, what does that conversation look like in those 30 minutes? So it is a lot of that. It's like they show up and all they think is like, I'm like a wiring guy or an IT guy who's going to look and, and like check off boxes on the, the point of sale system site readiness survey, mm. you know, which they need turned in before they'll agree to, to send out gear and stuff. But I show up and honestly, I have fought the battles that they're in, th that they're dealing with. I have my team and I, you know, I shouldn't even say I, Ken, you know, our CTO and Louisa, our COO, who, you know, um, the three of us and then our, our tech Evan and, you know, a couple other people, we fought these battles so many times that I walked into a restaurant and I'm like, boom, boom, boom. You're unhappy about these things before you even tell me because I know how they work and I've seen it in other restaurants and we're the antidote. We're the ones that are going to be accountable for getting all this fixed. Right. And so it's really quick. And it's just, it's just parlaying the experience we've had with every other hospitality and restaurant customer, identifying the problems quickly and knowing confidently that we're the ones that can solve them and we're the only ones that are interested in solving them. And so those meetings go really fast. And like, you know, like I, I've, I've started invoicing people when I get home from the meeting, even before we had a contract in place. Because I'm like, we're hitting the ground running. We're going to fix your problems. By this weekend, you're going to feel better about your restaurant. Now, that seems to be a case where it was like, it started with an inbound lead, right? Like they inquired on the website or maybe Toast needed to send you out there. Now, what about the opposite case where it's not an inbound lead and you've had to like get the meeting with that? Or perhaps you're not doing any outbound right now. You're just taking all the inbound leads. Um, can you talk through what that process looks like where they haven't invited you in quote unquote, as a, as the 
the premise of the meeting. Yeah. So that is new to us because we didn't need to do it at all, but we can and want to grow. Like we're operating so far beneath our, our capacity right now. Like we're supporting, you know, I mean, the number grows literally every day, but like right now we're at like 63 or 65 active restaurant customers that are open and need us. Our unit economics are really good. Our average customer requires less than two hours of our attention every month. And so with the team that we have in place, we can likely support between 250 and 300 restaurant customers. You know, and they all pay a flat fee, you know, 179 mm-hmm. a month. And um, we can grow and we've got runway like through halfway through 20, 2022. The only reason we're considering uh, our, our next raise is because we kind of want to pour some fuel on the fire. We want to ramp up our outbound sales efforts. Right now, those outbound sales efforts consist of, uh, well, Ken, uh, is Ken saying is our CTO, but he, he can close deals too. Like people talk to him, they're like, I'm with that guy, you know, <laughs> and, and they're, I want that guy's team, you know, but also he's just, he has a lot of respect from his background um, as, as, you know, as, as a, uh, uh, as a thinker in it and in both the, the supermarket space and also the restaurant space, he's the ultimate foodie. He can cook anything. Um, He's always feeding us into our, our channels. You know, we don't use Slack. We use Click now, which is just like Slack, but it's by Zoho. It's pretty neat. Um, we've got like, we've got this one channel that Ken's just constantly filling up with like, saw these guys on Eater, somebody go get them, huh. you know, or, or uh, saw this Instagram post by so-and-so, Andy, go after it. And, and so, you know, and he does that, Louisa does that, Evan does it. Um, so it's usually myself or, uh, we have a sales rep out in Los Angeles, Katie, where if we get one of those, we'll run with it and we'll see what we can do to make forays into an introduction. And that includes, you know, like Cheryl Kemp mentioned, sliding into DMs, you mm-hmm. know, um, like, hey, I saw you posted that you're closed today because your point of sale is down. We can fix that. We can probably fix it quickly. You know, that's a return on investment of $2,000 for a lot of small restaurants. Right. All they have to do is return the call, you know. All they have to do is respond to our message. We get those issues fixed. Um, but a lot of what Katie and I do are, 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 you know, sifting through these leads that we get from the rest of our team. We get a lot of referrals from other restaurant owners. But now we, we're on the outbound effort. We're um, looking at lists. So we're looking at Eater, you know, nine new restaurant openings on the west side of L.A. that you need to know about. Well, all that goes into our CRM and they enter in as qualified leads. The reason being is when we started this, we only solved about 70% of issues remotely, which meant we had to have boots on the ground to really effectively support a restaurant. The last three months, we are at 96, 98, and 98% remote resolution, which means we can deliver value to anybody. So if you're a restaurant with like a, you know, it's like if you're a restaurant with a door that opens, you're probably a good customer for us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I like In the fact, qualification. <laughs> we've got restaurants that don't have doors that open. They convert it <laughs> into some little like 
you know, like drive-through window. I was, was going to say, does that does that exclude the revolving door restaurant? <laughs> it does not. It doesn't. If you're a restaurant with a a, a beating heart inside yeah. somewhere, with a with a way to right. enter your building, isn't? <laughs> yeah. So at that point, you're qualified. So then, what we have to do is we have to move them to the awareness phase. We have to we have to spark some interaction with those customers, and that's that's really hard, you know, especially with no concerted outbound marketing, you know, uh, effort today, you know, we were, we got so fat on, on inbound referrals that we've taken our time and ramping up our our real go-to-market strategy, you know? And so, um, but then if we can, if, if, if we can create awareness, then we, we like race right down the funnel towards like, you know, consideration, intent, evaluation. And, I would say if we can get somebody to consideration, I feel like we close 30% of those. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of getting our name out there, getting them to understand who they are, because a lot of people don't believe us when they hear what we can do for them. Like, that's crazy. You're going to do this for 179 bucks a month? Like, yeah, absolutely. Because A, you're a restaurant. We know what your budget is. You cannot afford for, you know, some you know, some third-party IT consultant to say, yeah, I'll be there Tuesday to fix your credit card problem. And they're going to charge you 750 bucks. You're going to lose three or four or $8,000 in the meantime in lost sales because you can process credit cards. You know, we're the antidote to all of that. And it's because we realize you don't need to make a ton of money on a little job for a restaurant because you can become their team forever. You can integrate into their culture forever. You can know the cook's names, the, the dishwasher's names. You can be friends with them. And that only costs them 179 bucks a month. And they're gonna stick by you forever. You know, our retention rate is like 98%. Yeah. Well, and I wanna ask about that next, but yeah. before I do, uh, let's take a quick step back for a moment. Uh, and feature, as we're doing all this season, we're featuring different elevator pitches from companies that have worked with Startup Hype Man uh, using the Startup Hype Man Kepasa Elevator Pitch Formula, which stands for Problem Approach Solution Action. Today, we are featuring Engagedly, the HR tech company. And if you're not familiar with Engagedly, essentially, here's how it plays out for them. Um, if you're an HR leader, there's a good chance you are buried in spreadsheets and paper documents to track goals, OKRs, and engagement. And that's creating a trickle-down effect of missteps in the process, chasing down managers for, for approval, and reviews just being subjective. Pre-pandemic environment, partially tolerable. Remote work environment, damn near impossible. And as things move towards a hybrid environment over the next, I'd say, six months to a year, it's not sustainable. Engagedly helps HR leaders streamline and control their processes regardless of the physical environment. So companies are using Engagedly to to have company-wide people enablement. And this means all of performance management lives on one platform, no missteps, no hunting down managers, no gaps in the process. HR leaders love it because they aren't buried anymore, but more importantly, at an organizational level, performance become something that happens for team members instead of happening to them. Now you can learn all about Engagedly and get a demo at www.engagedly.com. Again, for company-wide people enablement, you go to www.engagedly.com, learn more and request a demo. Today I am with Andy Freivogel, 
the co-founder and CEO of Science on Call. And we are talking through pitching a market that, quote, doesn't have any budget. Now, Andy, before the break there, I mentioned, or you, you had mentioned how your retention is like 98%. And one of my questions on that note is actually, as we've seen in the news, restaurants are closing at a startling rate due to the pandemic. Are you losing customers just simply off the fact that the customers disappear? Not, not because of bad service, but literally because they just go out of business. So we, we, we tend to look at, at our, you know, the, the, the metric we like is the number of locations that we support. So we've got customers with 10 locations, customers at 30. So we've lost two locations since the pandemic. Because you got to remember, like, Luis and I operated a different company till the end of 2019. And we joined the Food Foundry Accelerator Program through RelishWorks. They were, our, they, they turned us in, they helped turn us into what we are. Like they, they sent us to business school, you know, and we, we totally reformulated the way we approached it, focused on restaurants completely. Yes, we are the company that said, here's an idea in the beginning of 2020, let's focus entirely on restaurants. <laughs> and then, you know, some people would say that, that maybe that was, um, uh, could have been short-sighted, but we didn't know enough about the pandemic then see what was gonna happen. But, you know, since we launched Science on Call in the beginning of 2020, we had one location, what was a standalone restaurant or, or cafe, they already knew they were going out of business. He was looking for a buyer anyway. So the pandemic just kind of sealed the deal for him. It's like, I'm closing. Um, and then the other was another victim of the pandemic, except they're a really strong, solid business. They were doing great. Their landlord freaked out and they were on a sublease from a company that had pulled out of that property. And so when the company, they either dissolved or something, it basically evaporated the lease and the landlord's like, ha, you need a new lease. I will charge you triple in rent what you were paying previously. And they're like, you know what? We're already opening another store up the street. So it's literally at night. They drove up, they unloaded, you know, an espresso machine, all their network gear, a lot of furniture, and they just took it to the new location. They had that other location open like weeks after that. And that's another thing. It's like, Customers that work with us already recognize the need for technology. So they have an edge on some of the customers, some of the restaurants that have not made it during the pandemic. You know, it's like those who, those who were unable to adopt to the kind of new way of, of restauranting, you know, we're already in a little bit of trouble for that reason. The customers right. that are working with us are customers that had already acknowledged the need for some kind of technology to run their business. And the reason they're selecting us is because they knew it was more cost-effective and more effective in general if they put it in the hands of an expert team. Well, yeah, I think the, the main shifts we've seen are essentially the new standards, if you will, mm -hmm. and the changes in behavior. It's like you have to you have to offer delivery, you have to offer online ordering, and I think the consumer shift is. I would say it was starting to go that way, but then it just got push, you know, hundred X yeah. was uh, even if you take it as recently as like three years ago, the most common way someone would look up a restaurant was a Google search. Yeah. And I think now the most common way is going through a third party app, like a DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats, or Grubhub. Yep. And so there's, 
it's almost like the markets forced them to to act in that way or, or just get left behind. And those who didn't are getting left behind or having these extenuated circumstances. I feel like in the response you gave there about like, hey, like here's why a couple co- companies have churned um, due to things beyond their control. The, the way you gave that response, I think speaks again to what I talked about in the beginning and what I recognized was the idea of like, what's your psyche or your mindset? Um, where you're not thinking, on one hand, you're not thinking, you're not going in, into this being like, well, I'm talking to people who don't have budget. But then just now, what I'm also gathering is you're going into this being like, I'm not working with companies that are going out of business. You're like, you're not just, you're not, um, you're not going in with that uh, presumption, I guess. Well, we don't worry about that. I don't, I don't say, I don't look around the restaurant and ask myself, huh, are these guys in trouble? Like, is this going to be a good customer for us? I don't worry about that. I wouldn't even worry about a little bit of churn, honestly. If we don't have a little bit, it means probably means we're not trying, we're not experimenting enough, Mm. you know, but I would say this is that a lot of the people that work with us are, are a lot of the restaurant owners, operators, a lot of them are are young and they're very tech savvy. You know, they could do some of this stuff on their own. They could maybe do all of it, but what they find is when they've got us in their corner, we're like a safety net for them. They're like, Oh, if I've got these guys to deal with like 86 items from all the platforms because we ran out of them, or if I've got these guys to deal with tweaking a menu because it doesn't show up right, you know, or, you know, this, you know, Chicago-based order aggregation platform never picks up the phone and never responds to my requests, but I know science gets me results somehow. You know, if they know that we can do all that for them, then they can do say things like, I think I'll open a shop in Brooklyn. You know, or they, they say, I'm going to launch a new product because now all of a sudden we've freed them up to continue to innovate and continue to focus on those bigger initiatives. And so despite the fact I would maintain that the total addressable market for, for science is also entirely obtainable, you know, it's like, it's like there's no restaurant that can't benefit from working with us now that we're solving 98% of issues remotely anyhow. Yeah. But there definitely is a subset that's an easier close because they are young hustlers who understand technology, but they could be doing a lot more if we could be taking some of the hits, you know, from their team. And so, so yeah, we're not pre-selecting people based on whether or not we think they're going to succeed. We're pre we're, we're selecting restaurants because we see the opportunity to help them. We see the opportunity to make them better. And we see the opportunity to like, you know, relieve their pain. Like I, I, you know, like February, 2021 was the worst month for most restaurant owners. And a lot of people don't realize that they're like, Oh, but we're all getting all this PPP and we're getting all this. Like, no, the requirements of PPP for a restaurant are really, really like a pile of paperwork, you know, for a lot of them. And um, there were a lot of restaurants that, had figured out a way to make it all the way to February of this year. But then like February, there was so much nervousness, anxiety, uncertainty that they were like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Hmm. But the ones that worked with us did. Let's begin our wrap up based off of that. Um, First question here is where can our listeners find you? Where can they find science and where can they learn more? Yeah. Scienceoncall.com. 
is the place to go. Um, we, you know, we, we, what we, what we do is really simple. It doesn't take a lot to understand how we can benefit, you know, uh, a, a restaurant. And, um, so just check out our website, um, you know, or you can text us too. We, we do a lot of our, 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 our support for restaurants via SMS. And so I'd always say, just text us 312-521-0016. Nice. Andy, who's one person that you want to shout out? This could be a team member, an advisor, a customer, anybody. Um, I, I would absolutely say my wife. And, you know, she was the first entrepreneur in our household. You know, she, she uh, has, she's an artist. She had an artist background, but she, she grinded her way through, you know, office jobs. I followed her into technology. I was like a third, uh, second wave coffee shop manager in the nineties. And my wife worked for a technology company first. So I followed her into that. Um, and so she's the person that she gives me the confidence that I have, you know, she, she pushed me early on. She's like, you got to learn to like stand up for yourself, do this. Those are skills. I didn't, I hadn't developed completely until I was, until I met my wife and we got married. Um, but also she was the first one to strike out on her own, start a business in our household. She has a booming business as an artist and she's been just as affected by this as a lot of restaurants. She sells to retailers and museum shops, <laughs> but she affected a very quick pivot. Um, she was making masks for a little bit. She amped up her direct to consumer channels, you know, for her products and things like that. She just, she, 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 she hit all these challenges with just great aplomb. It was really amazing. But I've been seeing that. I, I've been witnessing that for close to 30 years at this point, you know? So, um, but that's the person that inspires me every day uh, and inspired me to strike out on my own and do my own thing. And that's how I met Louisa. And that's how Louisa and I ended up uh, co-founding Science on Call. Let's do our top one or two lessons or takeaways now uh, based on our discussion today. I'll go first, then I'll toss it to you. Again, the topic today was pitching a market that traditionally, quote, doesn't have any budget, end quote. Uh, for me, I think it's two, I kind of say like two like independent things here. One of them is what I gathered here is how key empathy is in this process and really like just being able to relate to the customer. And the other one, I'll say, I'll put like that in like one bucket. And the other bucket, I think, is if you're going to succeed in a market that, you know, public perception is, is not, you know, doesn't have any budget again, you have got to build a, you have a product slash service with a price point and a business model that greatly favors them and if it greatly favors them, then you have a chance of succeeding as a company. But if you build it from the start of how does it favor us, chances are maybe you'll get some early sales, but you'll fizzle out pretty quickly. And I think in your case, having a low subscription cost to IT services allows you to have a low margin on a single like deal, but your customer lifetime value, like, like you don't churn. So you're, so you like, you make back, you know, your profit over several months on a single customer. And you just have a high volume of customers by being able to service most of your stuff remotely. Right. Andy, top one or two lessons or takeaways. Um, I got to respond to it. You know, our LTV to CAC is like, was traditionally like 13 to one. 
you know, like, and people keep saying like, oh, well, if you were a SaaS company, you could get away with like a three to one ratio. It's like, we're trying to shrink it, but our lifetime value for our customers has, has just been like, feels like infinity at some point. <laughs> and our cost of acquisition is a lot lower, but anyhow, as far as the two takeaways, these are things I would tell anybody about any business, but specifically about restaurants, regardless of the pandemic or not, just um, they're an underappreciated industry. And um, so these are the two things you need to know is if you lead with empathy and with heart, there is a market waiting for you. So whoever you are, find what your passion is and I don't mean like do what you love because that doesn't work for a lot of people. It doesn't pay the bills for a lot of people. But the thing that you keep thinking about, the thing that you keep waking up wanting to do, if, if you want to be around that all the time, like Louisa, Ken, and I want to be around restaurants all the time, that's what we love. If you want to be around that thing all the time, I promise you there's a problem that you can solve there. And there's a meaningful business anytime you can find a way to solve a problem for an industry like that. So that's one, you know, empathy will, will drive you to the right corners to find the opportunity to not only make money, but to, to really pr provide meaningful services and meaningful change to an industry. And that's what we're doing. The other thing I would say, and, and it just keeps proving itself time and time again for our organization, you know, our first company and then now Science on Call, which is if you work hard and your motives are true, there is absolutely no sacrifice that won't result in reward. I think, I, I don't know how people do it in like, you know, if this is what people are thinking in SaaS companies, but in a services company, you need to be thinking about what sacrifices can we make to move the ball? Not just for ourselves, not just to extend our runway, but to improve operations for our customers. And sacrifice is always a good way to, to approach it. A lot of times it has no cost. Perhaps that'll be how you answer the next question. I'm not sure if it will, but my final question, which is how we end every episode on this show, fill in the blank, Andy, entrepreneurship is blank. Sacrifice. <laughs> it's sacrifice. I saw that coming and I've been thinking about it. And that, that's, that's always going to be my response. But, but sacrifice is, is good. You know, sacrifice isn't like, oh, woe's me. I don't have something I would like to have. Sacrifice is like, hey, here's a way to get, you know, get from A to B. If I cast aside this, you know, whatever this baggage is, you know, or whatever this thing that I think is so dear, but maybe isn't, mm -hmm. if I can just cast some things aside, you know, the, the, the boat rises in the water, it moves faster. You, you can get there if you're just willing to make sacrifices. And um, the first sacrifice I'm always going to tell people is think about money, not profitability, but don't focus on short-term gains. Focus on producing good in the world. Focus on producing results for your customers. And I think that that's always going to be uh, sacrifice is the way to do that. 
entrepreneurship is sacrifice. I'm a big fan of it. And I totally uh, understand where you're coming from with that. He is Andy Freivogel. He is the co-founder and CEO of Science On Call. Andy, thank you so much for joining today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thank you. Uh, Totally inspired by what you do. Totally blessed to have been with you today. Thank you so much. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guest for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.